I'm your host, Tom Wilmer. Come along and join Jim Fricke, Curatorial Director at the Harley-Davidson Museum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as he shares highlights of the legendary motorcycles. The first Harley was introduced in 1903. By 1920, Harley-Davidson was the world's largest motorcycle manufacturer with dealers in 67 countries. Discover how the motorcycle's role in World War I and World War II propelled the legend of the Harley. Jim Fricke. I'm the curatorial director at the Harley-Davidson Museum. I'm in charge of the archives, curatorial, and exhibits. This town is the birthplace of Harley-Davidson, two guys. Started out with two guys, uh, Bill Harley and Arthur Davidson. The Davidson family lived up near where our Juno Avenue corporate headquarters are. So that was the original founders of my boss's great-grandfather and his brothers <laughs> lived here in Milwaukee and their father was a carpenter, Scottish carpenter, and he built a shed out back for the boys to kind of play in and build their motorcycle. And uh, Willie G. Davidson, who still has an office here, a grandson, said he figures that his grandmother just didn't want the boys getting her kitchen all greasy. <laughs> Keep them out back. <laughs> yeah, and we're here at the museum here in Milwaukee at 6th and Canal, we're right on the end of the Menominee Valley, which was historically the kind of industrial valley here in Milwaukee. So the rivers that surround us were dredged for industrial traffic and there were big railroad machine shops here. And that was a couple of the Davidson brothers worked for the railroads and the two, Bill Harley and Arthur Davidson, one was a draftsman and the other a pattern maker. So uh, it was in the blood. It was in yeah. the blood. They were both really avid bicyclists and uh, reportedly saw a motorized bicycle around the turn of the century and thought, that looks like fun, I think I'll make myself one. So that really was a brand new, new invention and new that. Yeah, yeah, you know, motorized transportation was really in its infancy at the turn of the century and um, there was actually, I think, a a steam-powered motorcycle built, you know, 30 years earlier, I think 1869 or something like that. But bicycling was a hugely popular activity at the turn of the century. And Do you so, think it was piggybacking with that fad that that's what propelled Harley and Davidson so quickly? Yeah, you know, I think when the company was founded in 1903, automobiles, Henry Ford founded the Ford Motor Company at the time. That was the, the year the Wright brothers took their first flight, so there really was a lot of fascination with these newfangled internal combustion engines and things, you know, not only motorcycling, but motor vehicles in general were growing that business was going really quickly as people began to decide that perhaps they'd trade in their horses on things that ate gasoline instead of hay. But it really was a short period of time, what, two, three years, and they moved out of their little shed and, and built a factory, right? Yeah, they built the first motorcycle they sold in that shed in 1903. Based on some research, you know, there's different versions of how quickly the uh, sales grew. Um, based on what we discovered in developing the content for the museum, we think they, they sold one motorcycle in, in, 03. in 03 and then they uh, doubled their sales the next year. 
and I think went to eight in uh, 05. So it was, you know, it wasn't growing by leaps and bounds in the first couple of years, but then, yeah, they went from 50 to 150 to 450, and they were selling, I think, the sold over 28,000 motorcycles by 1920. Wow. And so what made the Harley-Davidson motorcycle so revered, so instantly, and so popular? Yeah. Well, you know, I think Harley-Davidson wasn't really an overnight success. You know, they, there were, we believe, over 160 motorcycle companies in the U.S., you know, by 1910. Wow, so a lot of competition. A lot of, a lot of competition, and we had serious competition right up through the 20s. But by 1920 is when Harley-Davidson became, you know, the biggest selling American motorcycle. But it had to be something specific, engineering, design, what was it that put them in the forefront? Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question, kind of why did they become so successful? And as we tell the story in the museum, they did a few things early on that really kind of nurtured the business. One, they figured out that it was important to set up a really robust dealer network. You know, if you think about trying to talk somebody into trading their horse in on a motorcycle, that was a pretty scary proposition. So they, you know, had the insight somehow. They didn't go to business school but they had the insight to know that for someone, a new consumer to be confident, they'd need to buy that product from someone in their area who they trust. And they, they set up this dealer network and trained dealers. And that's really the thing that sustained them through the depression and, and then uh, World War II. Jumping forward, that's mm -hmm. today is still part of your magic, isn't it? Yeah, I think the, you know, the, the dealer network is really the thing that sustains the company. Of course, you know, we make good motorcycles. <laughs> and, you know, part of the, I think the reputation of the company is based on a variety of things. I think the fact that there's still family involvement, ancestors of the original founders are still involved, we still make them. We have Harleys and or Davidsons today? Davidsons. There's, uh, at this point, my boss, Bill Davidson, is the great-grandson, and his sister Karen is a creative director for our motor clothes. Let's go back in time for a moment. Back to, you alluded to World War II, and that was a real seminal period of an American history which Harley-Davidson played a real key role. Yeah, I, you know, I think that a big part of the brand, um, people's understanding of the Harley-Davidson brand is really associated with the best of the United States, and some of that has comes from since 1908. You know, we've been selling motorcycles to police forces, initially to, to fire departments, although that business didn't last quite, become quite as big. But then when we did initiate military sales in 1915 and sold motorcycles to the military for World War One, then we were, you know, fortunate enough to get the contract to build motorcycles, not only for the U.S., but for all of our allies in World War II. And that really was the one that kind of seared it into the minds of not only the GIs, but everybody watching the newsreels and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and here in the museum, we have a number of those newsreels playing, so there were things that you would see before watching the film, but I think that association with the successful war effort really kind of burnished the brand and the fact that we made these motorcycles and sort of left them all over the world and trained so many riders and then you know the whole custom culture you know, the the current ideas about harley davidson and motorcycling kind of came from after the war when all the returning gis we 
they were able to buy surplus motorcycles you know at a discount and they customized them and formed clubs and you had the wild one and <laughs> you know kind of a changing uh, changing image of motorcyclists and uh, that's really fascinating a direct connection correlation and outgrowth of World War II throughout the 50s yeah you know obviously World War II kind of shaped many things in the world, but for Harley-Davidson, you can look at motorcycling culture as kind of pre-World War II and post-World War II, and things, everything changed. And, you know, one of, just from a commercial point of view, the fact that, you know, we were number one in 1920, but by the middle of the Depression, our sales had dropped. It was a worldwide Great Depression, and it was that military production that also kind of pulled us out of that slump, and by the end of the war, you know, the company was really poised to kind of fulfill that post-war consumer demand, and it's, you know, there's been ups and downs since. (laughs) And then there was a point when AMF came in. Tell us about that period of time. Yeah, the company, though, was thriving kind of after the war there. It was up and down kind of through the 50s and the 60s we had a lot of competition from European motorcycles in the 50s and then the Japanese in the 60s and simultaneously a lot of our manufacturing facilities were getting old and we were kind of struggling in the late 60s and ended up merging or being bought out by depending on who you talk to AMF which is American Machine and Foundry and they were in the process of diversifying and trying to build a recreational products division and we were just one company in their portfolio along with looking back there were some very definite positives to that takeover and some negatives yeah you know one of the things we talk about here in the museum for a lot of Harley-Davidson enthusiasts they look at AMF as kind of that those were the dark days but in fact the company really saved us they didn't really understand the motorcycling business and I think I think they thought they bought a cash cow and they had to actually invest a great deal of money um, into the the company which we continue to benefit from our plant in York but they you know they ended up getting a little uh, tired of the business and and the company not kind of meeting their sales goals so eventually 13 of the execs bought the company back. And what year was that? That was 1981, so... One of your fellow employees told me earlier that it was because of AMF that there was some propulsion in R&D that might not have happened at that time. Is that true? Yeah, with AMF came a pretty significant infusion of cash, basically. So the company had been kind of struggling, so both on the manufacturing side, building new factories, and then putting money into product development. So there was a, a lot of new products that came out in the 70s and kind of really brought the company back. And the early 80s, post that buyback, were a real struggle. On the ground, the bikers that I know, they badmouth that era as the finished product. Yeah. Yeah, well, there were definitely some quality problems that resulted primarily, I think, from AMF's response to, you know, not making as much money as they thought was to try to push more motorcycles out the door faster and faster. And there were some quality problems. And the architecture of the vehicles also, you know, we kept updating an engine that, you know, came out during the middle of the Depression. And as people expected more performance, we were pushing more performance, and they did things like leak oil back then that people got tired of. (laughs) Okay, so jumping forward, and only because we're 
little short on time. I got to go to the airport. Talk to us about today. How are you doing? Is it good times again? Like I, I started here in 2004. I came to develop the, the exhibits and the company at that point had been on a string of more than 15 years of just astronomical growth. And like a lot of businesses, we were hit by the recession, but the last few years have been really good. And we've been coming out with a lot of really exciting products. And one of the things that I benefit from, from my position is sort of knowing what's coming up in the next year and the next few years. And I'm pretty excited about where things are going. Okay, before we go, we're here at the mothership at the museum. Give us a real quick word picture of what somebody would experience here. The company, in addition to having this great history, did an incredible job of saving things. So we have unrestored motorcycles from every year that the company's been in operation, plus all of you know all of the ancillary materials. So we had a great amount of amazing stuff to tell this really interesting story and we're fortunate that you know, had some good designers and I think one of the things that I enjoy is like looking at TripAdvisor reviews and stuff and we get uh, only a, less than 20% of our visitors are Harley riders. I heard yeah. that. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah and you know more than 50% have no connection to motorcycling and you know we built this place to engage those people and that's the thing I hear the most and, and enjoy the most. It's like I didn't know what to expect but man I came and I loved it. So part of it was just kind of an inherent curiosity. You're familiar with the name. And yeah I think people are familiar with the name that's one thing you know Harley's been really expanding internationally and that's one thing they found like even the first time they went into China they did surveys and and the things that Chinese people said they knew about Harley or what Americans do so there's general curiosity if people come to Milwaukee this is a you know a Milwaukee company there's interest in industrial history and we're glad to be able to tell the story. Plus we have lots of really cool events here and on days like today you can see all the motorcycles out there, people riding from across the country. Over, across the country yeah. and all over the world, although most of them fly to New York or have them shipped in and rent a bike or yeah. <laughs> they do some of them. Yeah, there's a big pretty big rental program. We get more than ten percent of our visitors year round are international and there's a lot of there's a French tour group that does you know, they ride up along the Mississippi uh-huh. and people come from all over the world to ride Highway 61 and it's a pretty exciting place to be and a good time to be here. Jim, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for coming. For further information. So people can come to www.hdmuseum.com and I'm Jim Fricky, and I'm glad you asked me to talk. Me too. Made my day. <laughs> Thanks so much. My pleasure. I'm Tom Wilmer reporting from Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Harley Davidson Museum. We were born, born to be wise. We can climb so high. I never wanna die. You've been listening to the Lowell Thomas award-winning travel show Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer, a featured podcast on NPR.org's podcast directory. Produced by California Central Coast NPR affiliate KCBX. You are invited to subscribe to Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer on NPR.org, NPR One, iTunes, and more than 20 other podcast channels around the world.
To learn more about Tom Wilmer's journeys around America and the world, log on to thomaswilmer.com. This is Roseanne Cash, and I'm sitting here with Tom Wilmer. Please support your local NPR station. I listen to WNYC in New York, and in fact, NPR is all I listen to. If I didn't have NPR, I would feel like my lifeline to the world has been cut. So yes, please support your local NPR station. World Bicycle Relief partners with communities to deliver specially designed, locally assembled, rugged bicycles for people in need. Nearly one billion people in rural regions of the world live in communities far from the nearest paved road, walking miles every day just to survive. Distance is a barrier to attending school, receiving health care, delivering goods to market, and other critical services needed to thrive. Find out how you can help deliver rugged, dependable, life-changing bicycles to deserving communities. Log on to worldbicyclerelief.org to learn more. 